Hello and welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carrie Smith, and I'm joined today by my occasional co-host, Carter Laren. Hello, Hi. Carter. Looking very Hi, dashing today. Uh, you like and these outfits, so I'm I keeping do, it up. I think I really like that style on you. I think you should continue. Right. I'm really excited about our guest today, Carter. We are joined by Surat Chawla. You guys can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Surat K Chawla. That's S-E-E-R-U-T-K-C-H-A-W-L-A. And we'll put the links in the description. She is a therapist who is located in the UK and is pretty exceptional in my opinion, because she's one of the few therapists I've seen on social media who is not pushing woke ideology, who is not moving with the tribe. And in fact, has taken some heat for um, saying things that don't necessarily align with the belief system. So I'm very excited to have someone who's a professional here today to talk to us on our unprofessional show <laughs> about woke ideology and therapy. Welcome, Surat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here too, actually. I've been following you for a little while and I think your story is so interesting. Um, and I watched a bit of you on Benjamin Boyce and um, yeah, I'm really excited He's to talk great. to you. Um, He's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, like we were saying beforehand, before we start recording, he, at least when I talked to him, I found he asked questions that were really not questions I'd had before. Mm. he's very interesting <laughs> yeah he's, he's a really but, uh, interviewer and, and i liked your interview with him so well i'm really excited to talk to you because carter and i sort of we theorize sometimes about the psychology behind my old belief system behind social justice ideology and mm -hmm. we've had some discussions with people who who also and some who who focus specifically on the psychological aspects but I can't recall us having a therapist on. I think this is the first time we've been able to talk to someone, a professional about, about this belief system and some of our theories. And so uh, I guess my first question for you would be, how did you find yourself on, on Twitter and, and social media? And how did you find yourself being a voice going against the pack? Somehow I always find myself in this position. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Exactly how I always I always find myself a little bit out of sync with the larger group. Um, but I, I started this Instagram page a couple of years ago, which is kind of it's a professional page. It's a therapy page. And um, being both both a, ter a therapist and someone with PTSD, I think the popular way of saying it is like trauma survivor. Um, I thought it would be really um nice to have some kind of some way to offer just information um sense making for people who maybe haven't gotten to that phase yet of like making meaning of what's happened to you and to connect with with trauma survivors and um it's it's been an interesting curve so this is how it started and then I got involved in this very, very, very popular niche of Instagram therapists. And the therapists on there are largely North American. So it's dominated by any way we know the field of therapy is dominated by women. So women and um, North Americans and generally, you know, pe people from the West, the Anglosphere and everyone mostly has the same position on everything and initially mm -hmm. I started sort of adopting it and I thought 
well, if they all think this, this must be the way to think about things. So initial, initially it was very um, related to therapy, how to think about therapy and this whole trauma-informed idea, which I've come to realize is, is not, it's not psychotherapeutic, it's completely ideological and political. And some of the ideas, um, they started to, you know, when, when, when you read something and you're just, it puts you, puts you in a very, very slight position of discomfort, mm-hmm. but you're not sure why. So it started yes. like that. And I'm like sort of looking at this and I'm like, I haven't found this to be true. And that was, that was the, the genesis of it. And then, um, and then I started really paying attention to, well, why do, why have I adopted this? And why do I think this? And how does, how do these ideas actually play out in, in my work, not on Instagram, but with clients and what I know of clients? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's very, um, it's very seductive to throw away what we know is mainstream knowledge, not just in therapy, not just politically, but just hell, everything. Um, you know, you not have the biohackers or um, the the slightly odd nutrition people, like every everyone is into this, throw away the yeah. mainstream knowledge and look at us, aren't we clever? We've just figured it all out. And I think, um, so, and I kept it to myself. And I was just sort of started slowly veering away from what everybody else thought and said. And I just, uh, uh, I have a hard time, you know, keeping my mouth shut. So if I really <laughs> think something, um, I kind of have to say it. So if I, if I, especially when, when it's a page where you're sharing your thoughts and ideas, um, which yeah. is how I view Instagram, I don't view it as I'm not everybody's therapist. I'm not your parent. Um, I'm not a guru, I, you know, um, I'm just here and I'm sharing my ideas and things I know to be true as a therapist that help people. Um, and so I'm sharing these ideas and I notice people are getting more and more angry with me. So that's starting to sort of, um, it, it was interesting. And I, then I started thinking, well, why are people angry with me? What's so offensive about some of these things? That can, I you, think, can you just pause and give us an yeah. example of some ideas yeah. you were giving that people were getting upset about? Like, what were yeah. you saying? Like, um, like the ideas of um, over-validating, coddling, that these mm. that these are somehow psychotherape- psychotherapeutically useful. They're not. You know, over-validation mm. is touted like um, as if it's a therapeutic skill, and it's it's not. Um, you know, when a client says something to you, you shouldn't be jumping uh, at them saying, oh, I validate you. That's 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 over identifying. What instead you want to do is, OK, well, why do you think that? And how is that? How is how is that playing up in your life? And where might that come from? And um, how does that impact you in the here and now if it's from from before? And um it's it's a completely different paradigm to, oh, I totally validate you, you know, and validation doesn't have to be so overt that you have to sort of jump at the person and give them a cuddle. Validation can also be sitting there with them, being completely present, being a warm sort of, 
neutral yet compassionate witness of what someone's going through, not judging them. You know, we sort of we take things somehow and make them really stupid, and I think that's what we're doing. Um, yeah. So, can I just I want to clarify because I'm trying to make sure I understand. Um, mm. So, when you're talking about validating people, are you saying like there's a difference between validating? Uh, yes, I see that you feel this way or mm. validating the conclusion about why you feel this way or that you mm. ought to feel this way. Is that the, the distinction you're trying to make? Yeah, and I think even um, that is the distinction I'm trying to make. And I think in general, in your day-to-day -day lives with people, relationships that aren't a client-therapist um, relationship, of course you you go into them and say, yeah, I, I, of course I, I accept and understand and can empathize with why you feel that way. But as a therapist, um, that can sometimes be bringing too much of yourself into the therapist-client relationship because it's not for me to say that's the right thing or the wrong thing. It's for mm -hmm. me to help the client figure out if that's the right thing or wrong thing for them. Um, so more so that, being a mirror and not a shoulder to cry on in the kind of colloquial sense. Yeah, and sometimes you are a shoulder to cry on. That is part of the work. And sometimes you are there for someone to just, you know, sometimes people have never had um, someone just listen to them without mm -hmm. jumping in to fix it, without looking over their, their shoulder at what else is going on in the room, without waiting for them to shut up so that you can say what you think. And yeah, this happened to me too. And a lot of people haven't had that experience. So that's quite, yeah. that's really powerful, actually. Um, but you need to progress from there. You don't get stuck in that stage. That's why therapy is a bit of a, a bit of a journey for a lack of a better word. Yeah. Okay. Have I didn't you mean had... to drop, we can keep going with your, where you were going with. You were yeah, telling please a story continue. I yeah. you no, I, I'm glad you did because I wanted to also, as this is related, Carter asked, what were some of the things that you said that got you in trouble with the herd for lack of a better word. Um, but I wanted to ask a, a, the flip side of that question, which are what, what are some of the things that they're saying? that the woke therapists are saying that you don't agree with? And everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> there we go. Pretty much everything that they have to say, I just look at. And, you know, there's that, there's that gif of Clint Eastwood kind of looking like, oh, like the, like the, um, uh, you know, the, the grandpa, like, get off my lawn, angry old yeah. old man. That That's literally my face almost every time I see something that they have to say. Like, get the fuck off my lawn, kids. <laughs> um, pretty much everything. Because um, it's not based in psychotherapeutic theory. I think that's, okay, I think I know exactly what it is. It's psychotherapy and psychotherapeutic theory has ended and political theory has come in. That's what I don't like. Mm. You are not helping people. You are making it all about you and your politics and yes. your ideas of the world. And you're not doing therapy. You're doing something else and calling it therapy. And you're kind of ruining our field. This like, is what hell we noticed this doing? with, um, we did a video with Tom Goldman and it was about the, APA, the American Psychiatric Association's new guidelines that they'd issued for working with men and boys, for therapists, for treating men and boys. Mm -hmm. And the guidelines were absolutely 
what you're describing. They were ideological in nature. They were political in nature. It was, it was, it was telling therapists to come into a therapeutic situation and to then put this belief system that they have on men and boys and interpret everything they're there to talk about through this lens mm. of toxic masculinity and, mm. and patriarchy and male privilege and all this stuff. So, um, is it, it yeah. seems to me that psychology is so nascent that unlike something like physics, where, you know, you, you, you get some empirical data maybe, and you make some theories, but then you test the theories and it's pretty clear whether they're working or not. Like, I, I guess people can argue about string theory, but no one cares. It's not implemented anywhere really. So, um, but, but psychology seems to be, it's, it's very nascent. And I know there is a lot of empirical evidence and people have done a lot of research and kind of detected behavior patterns and, and it's kind of merging with, um, you know, uh, <laughs> neurology in some sense sometimes right there there's like that's happening but what checks are there in the profession to prevent random theorizing because it started out with random theorizing i mean freud was pretty much like randomly theorizing stuff right <laughs> which isn't very scientific but it's a place to start um and what what checks are there in place to prevent kind of random theorizing because what i see from the woke left is often just statement of random theories as if they're fact and then using those as premises to build the entire systems on well that's a that's a really really important point because well in there in psychology there's been a sort of replication crisis so you have all these studies that aren't replicable so that's a problem mm -hmm. um and then therapy is different to psychology though and so much of it is based on theory um and some of those theories are outdated. And when things are outdated, you should slough them off. But you don't throw out everything. Um, and I think it's sort of... Uh... So the checks and balances, I suppose, are that we're all regulated, or we should be. So we all have boards that have codes of ethics. Um, we should be taught how to you know, manage ourselves and, in a sense, regulate ourselves as therapists. But then the random theorizing of, of wokeness has has infected therapy. So you have... Um, and the regulation bodies. Yeah, and regulatory bodies. So things like for the APA to call masculinity toxic is, is well, it's pretty disgusting, isn't it? Like, what? how else can you take that? Of course, yeah. and so what, what might... Uh, uh, it makes me so angry. And um, like, for example, we know this, that far more men commit suicide than women, and they already don't don't seek help. And men tend to, depression already is a very, very sneaky thing. You don't always see it coming. You kind of wake up one day and you're like, shit, I'm in, I'm mm -hmm. in the hole. You know, it's happened, I'm here. And um, we already have so much cultural stuff about with sort of um, these prescriptive gender roles and we want men to be stoic and all these sorts of things. And yeah, there's all these factors in the way of men getting help. And maybe therapy therapy isn't for every man because there are sex differences and there's so much that men are discouraged from doing, like expressing healthy aggression, which I think is quite important to being psychologically healthy. And now... The APA is saying stuff about toxic masculinity. Well, how many more men are we putting off from from getting help if they need it? Um, 
it's quite you know the ideological possession of therapy i mean the ship has sailed we're here we're in it and um it's it's kind of a scary time yeah mm. yeah yeah i mean men i i noticed just this may be just my personal experience but i think a lot of men get psychological needs met by not through sitting and talking through things but through doing physical activity with other men yeah um that's often just kind of unspoken like you go hunting or you go fishing or you go sparring with someone or you do something you play sports and there's a relief and like sometimes there's a little bit of conversation but often there's just uh kind of physicality and being present with other males that can really booster um your you know, whatever issues you're having, sometimes it can really give you the energy and strength you need to kind of move forward. And I, I see, um, I see those kind of activities being vilified. Um, generally, uh, guys, guys getting guys getting together in groups is not something you really see much other outside of sports. Um, you don't see a lot of that. Uh, at least I don't like women can have women's circles, but if guys say, I'm going to start a club for guys and we're going to hang out and smoke cigars and fish, that's viewed as misogynistic and horrible. And I'm supposed to be letting women in. Yeah. Well, then they're called MRAs and they get canceled, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Because... Which is what happened to the guy we interviewed about uh, the APA and the guidelines on men, Tom, Tom Golden. I'm getting his name right, Carter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, he gets called MRA, men's rights activists, and vilified the same way uh, they vilify. You know, they put these labels on people and like turf, trans exclusionary, radical feminists. You know, and then vilify and 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 they've definitely done that. I think to to people who who t who have an interest in in talking about anything related to men and statistics, like you mentioned, more men likely to commit suicide. People don't even seem to know stats like that because you're not, if you talk about them, you're an MRA, you know? Yeah. I've um, seen yeah. people, I've seen the woke on Twitter say, to, to, if you bring stats like that up, I've seen some of the people say good. Oh, right. No. Like that's, no. that's the response, so, the which, which kind of leads me to my next question. Yeah. Is there, are we viewing, are we experiencing right now some sort of mass personality disorder? that's being played out um we're reining myself for a second shouting <laughs> yes <laughs> probably not very responsible um and, uh, let me just oh, I'll, I'll caveat that by saying that's my personal experience my lived experience that there's a lot of oh, can't argue with that <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh off limits for disagreement <laughs> and i'm brown right oh and you're brown <laughs> oh and a woman oh um, so well we have some we have a bit of research behind it so we have the tendency for interpersonal victimhood which was um a study done in Israel. And while it was done on individuals, it does have group application. And I think Scott um, Kaufman and Barry has talked about this. Scott Barry Kaufman, I'll say his name backwards. Um, he's talked about this. And I think that's what you see in the woke. So they have, I think they have four, the four key features. So it's not a personality disorder, it's a personality construct. Um, which is which is sort of like not a full blown disorder, but it's like a, like a set of traits that people have, um, and 
the one that always sticks out for me is moral elitism and i think mm. that's sort of that's kind of the hallmark of of every single woke person you come across even in their in their doctrine right they talk about false consciousness anyone who doesn't think that way we are just not conscious enough and you're you're some pleb with with um false consciousness and you see it in the way they speak to people like they talk to people like you're a very stupid child and if you don't already know this there's clearly something very wrong with you you're deficient in some way or they talk to um or they i don't know why this is but i see this constantly even from people i follow on instagram which is sort of like if you don't if you don't believe in this unfollow me <laughs> and it's, yes. it's, it's such a all the time yeah yeah, yeah. Which, by so the way like, lazy you know what i mean like if you don't want me following you you need to, i'm i'm going to make you find me amongst all of your other friends and, and delete me yourself i'm not doing the work for you <laughs> I know. I know. There's so many people have unfollowed me and I haven't even bothered going through my friend list to see who it is and who to Yeah, it's too many. Like Yeah, yeah. don't follow me. It doesn't but actually But how arrogant is that? That's another yeah. thing about them. How arrogant. It's like I can't imagine saying that if you don't like what I'm posting today, unfollow me. It's like, wait a minute, you're insulting me and you're asking me to do work for you? Like <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm not gonna unfollow you. Sorry, that just so moral elitism. That's one. Yeah. I've definitely seen that with them. They're up on a high horse. That's totally yeah. unearned. What and is the second one? I'm gonna pull up my because I did an Instagram post on this, okay. and I'm gonna pull that up because I'm sure they loved that. They made they they sub posted me for months. <laughs> they made posts and posts and posts about what the one that I remember quite clearly is before we call people a victim why haven't we validated their pain it's like well it's not actually related to victim actual victimhood but anyway facts don't matter do they well your latest instagram post will piss a lot of people off and is related to the title of our show which is is the best safe space is feeling like an empowered competent resilient adult i love that post yes um, you're not allowed think, to feel that way yeah you have to feel like an incompetent fragile <laughs> Right. Well, there's that. Uh, I, uh, I'll ask you about this later, I guess, more. But there's that drama um, triangle yeah. right? of uh, persecutor. What is it? Persecutor, rescuer it's, and victim. Yeah. Persecutor, tyrant, victim, victim and rescuer. So that's definitely very, um, very related because it's the drama triangle playing out because they, they like to be in the position of um, both victim and rescuer because there's so much saviorism to this. Mm. So even the way they look at us, like people of color, whether or not you're competent, intelligent, resilient, whether or not you want to be saved or need them to save you, they want to jump in and save you. And I find that really, it's really similar to colonialism, you know, with the white man's yeah. burden. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. Yes. the same as colonialism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're forcing their assistance on you. Yeah. They force their assistance like the government. on you whether you want it or not. And if you don't want it, then you're just a white supremacist then. Whether or not you're white. Yeah. I've been called now a white you're an supremacist oppressor. so many times. And it's like, I'm from India. It's like famously colonized part yeah. of the British Empire. Actually colonized. Yes. Yeah. So I found it. The four features are one, constantly seeking recognition for your victimhood. So yes. yeah. that is, um, well, that, that that's constant, isn't it? It's constantly... Um, you know, I was 
someone someone um, didn't smile at me on the street, so that's a microaggression, and I'm going to put that on Facebook and have a have a, I'm going to sort of really make something out of it. Not just to it's not just recognition for victimhood doing that. You're also actively just it's like self harm. What if the yeah. person just doesn't like smiling? Maybe maybe it's someone yeah. who's traumatized. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they didn't even see you. How many like billion? Yeah. Other, they went to the dentist uh, and they're numb. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking of dumb ideas, but yeah, totally. No, it's inside. <laughs> it is totally it, this ideology. So when I was in it, it it definitely encourages you. It tells you to put on these glasses every day so that you're looking for the racism and sexism and everything. And you are interpreting everything. And and they teach you how to do this. I learned how to do it in college, the critical theory classes I was taking, the women's studies classes, um, queer theory. They, we would watch movies and then have to write papers about like viewing this movie through a heterosexist lens and, and pulling out all of the heterosexism in this movie and so they're teaching you to like watch a movie and and write a paper about all the ways that you may not have noticed that it centers straightness or it centers maleness or I'm whiteness. Sorry, I, I think that's so funny, Carrie. Because I'm imagining in my head, like reviewing a movie and notice how they center breathing. Like, yeah, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for heteronormativity. Like most people are heterosexual. That doesn't mean not being heterosexual is bad, but that's how we got here. Like, that's how we procreate. Normative. Why has everyone yeah. since the beginning of time done it? Yeah. Right. Why is it universal? Well, they Why conflate it... normal what? with good morally. They 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 conflate they statistic judgment. normal normalcy with. Like, yeah, with a value judgment of morality, um, which no um, one actually yeah. means, but they do. Yeah, normal is just what most of the people do most of the time. That's all right. normal means. It doesn't mean that if you if you are an outlier in some ways, and we all are, that you're not, um, that you're abnormal or pathological or anything else. Like, I can't think of a single person I know who has a problem with um, people who are gay. I can't right. think of one single person. Um even my like seventy-year-old Indian dad is like <laughs> very proud, and um, like one of his friends is gay, and my dad likes to tell. This is my gay friend, and I'm really proud of him. And I'd like he's like sort of it's like such a weird thing. It's sort of so against um, everything you're conditioned into as an Indian person. So you know the fact that one of his friends actually came out and. He knows that, you know, he's he's out. My dad really wants, he does it very badly, but he really wants to support him. And he really wants people to know that, like, this is Aww. my friend and he's great. And, <laughs> you know, uh, like most people, they they aren't going out there trying to hurt other people. The only people I see really doing that are the woke. And yeah. Anyone who's not in the in-group, they want to... Um, I mean, I, I think and this is going to sound probably quite extreme, but having experienced cancellation, I think they actually want to um, annihilate you. They want to fully destroy you. Oh, that doesn't sound extreme. I don't think extreme. that's wrong. It's not extreme. That's, yeah, that is correct. They they want to. We we've been able to interview several small business owners who've been the, the target of cancellation of mobs and where people have tried to get their businesses shut down and and 
and contacted every person who's ever worked with them and, and leaned on those people to make statements denouncing them and, you know, really tried to isolate and cut these people off from everyone, got them banned from yarn conventions in the knitting world, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is like you're saying, they don't just want it. It's not like voting with your feet where you say, I don't support what you're doing, Rice Krispies, therefore I'm not going to buy you anymore. <laughs> um, it's more than that. It's trying to cut your feet off. And, and really so that you can't make a living and that and that no one can buy your products and that no one can associate with you. And and it, it is absolute. They're trying to decimate you. I think that I think that you're right about that. Yeah, um, I think they want they want um, the feeling I had going through it was that they wanted to torment me to the point that I had a nervous breakdown and killed myself. That's how yeah. it, that's how they it do, though. that yeah, that I is what they want, I think. Yeah, I think I, they do, too. Which is pretty have, sadistic. But. Have, yeah. you ever, have you ever talked to, um, uh, there's a psychopathic. Yeah. Yes. Have you ever talked to this guy in the knitting world, Sockmetician? I don't think so. You should check this guy out and I'm going to send you his story because he was one of the knit, the big like knitting influencers who got, um, he got mobbed. And, and, it, and what's crazy is he was part of the social justice world. I mean, he's a gay man. He's HIV positive. He's one of the most popular knitters. He coined the diverse knitty hashtag, which was a popular hashtag about diversity in knitting. And he, they came after him because he was calling for civility and for rational heads and for, for all the fighting to stop the toxicity, not understanding that they would accuse him of tone policing and they came after him so hard and so viciously that his husband had to check him into the hospital on suicide watch. And they were still posting and his husband went, this gives me chills with his husband posted something like, you know, all of your hatred has been received. Please now send love. Like he's in the hospital. And they still replied good. You know, like I hope he kills himself, that kind of stuff. You know, so it's, yeah, it made me think of what you were saying. So I want to, I'm going to send you one of his videos. Don't let me forget. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so getting back on track. He's in the UK as well, right? You're in the UK. He's in the UK, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. I want to, I definitely want to follow in and get in touch. So he's lived through all of that. So, so you were mentioning to get us back on track, you were saying that the Mm -hmm. four key features of, of what yeah. is now being called this personality construct is constantly seeking recognition for your victimhood, moral mm-hmm. elitism. A lack of empathy for the pain and suffering of others. So, and that's a big one. And that's a really important one because this is sort of tribalism on steroids, isn't it? And anyone mm-hmm. who's not in the tribe or not in the in-group or has false consciousness or um, has dead to have an idea that isn't in the small, narrowly shifting window of pre-approved woke opinions, um, well, you don't deserve empathy. You, de- you deserve to to be destroyed and to never be able to make a living. I can think of a few people. There's a girl on lovely friend of mine, really lovely, called Clementine Morgan, and she's actually a, a socialist, and but she's not woke. And, yeah. Um, so, so they're trying to... to I mean, the lies they make up about this poor woman is bloody horrific. And it's like they want to... This is a teenage runaway with PTSD who lived on the streets and had to survive with sex work. 
So, you know, the one, the, the poster child for somebody that you'd think the woke would care about. And she, for the first time in her life, has found some financial stability by writing. And she writes these exquisitely beautiful zines um, and sells them through her website. And she writes, she's written a few books and um, she's talented. And they want to, they want, they made it so her publisher dropped her. You know, imagine after all that, you get a pub book deal. After all that, that's your life. And they made it so her publisher dropped her. Wow. They're, they are psychopathic. Yeah. Um, the lack of empathy thing is something I noticed when I was still in the social justice world um, around two, the 2016 election. After Trump was elected, I saw a spate of articles being shared in my echo chamber. And I had whittled my echo chamber down to just social justice people. And there were a spate of articles and opinion pieces written that in the headlines were all, you know, arguing against empathy for Trump voters. And that was a red flag for me. Yeah. It was sort of, wait, why, why would you be arguing against empathy and trying to get people to kill that part of themselves? Well, they, they, um, they don't have empathy really. And, and it's like, um, I tweeted this recently that we're so short on actual empathy, but we're completely overrun by this sort of toxic form of compassion, like the saviorism and the rescuer. But it's not like, it's not a rescuer that wants to rescue you always for your sake. It's a rescuer that wants to rescue you the way a missionary wants to rescue a, a heathen, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it is so colonial in, in that aspect. Um, and if you if you don't take on if they want to take on the position of rescuer and you don't oblige by taking on the position of victim, then they take on the position of the tyrant. Yeah. While while they pretend that that they're the victim, it's it's like um, I see this constantly as well, where they they do something. So like cancel culture is such a mind fuck in a way. Sorry, I I swear quite a lot. Okay. Oh, that was the first time. That was pretty good for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, cancel culture is, you know, it's such a mind fuck because you're being abused and it is abuse because there's um, there's no escape from it. If your income in some way is tied to being on, online, well, how you don't have an option. You have to be there because you have to, you have to, there's, there's, if someone's abusing you in, in, in the real world, not that that's any better, but you at least can put the phone down or leave the room or make an escape plan. There's no escape from this. Yeah. You can't, there's no leaving the room. There's no phone you can put down. There's, uh, unless you're willing to um, have suffer very real material loss um, and go and live in like a cabin in the woods or something for a little while, especially if you live in a woke area, like people like the poor few anti-woke people in Portland is probably like being trapped in Dante's Inferno, like hell on earth. Um, and so you're being abused while you're being told that you are an abuser. What yes. kind of psychopathic thing is that to do to someone? Yes. So you have yeah. no right, it's, you have no support. It's uh, I've, I've read a lot about this recently because I have had interactions on a personal level with someone I believe is sociopathic and I've read about DARVO. Can you explain what that is for people? 
So that's a very, I mean, originally it's meant to be about victims of actual abuse. The woke completely misuse it. So it was supposed to be for people who've been through domestic um, violence, not someone who who has an opinion you don't like and they're like, and, and you shout at them and they say, I'm not, I don't want to listen to you. And then they start shouting Davo. It doesn't apply to that. Yeah. They do um, the same with gaslighting. They misuse it. Yeah, disagreement is not gaslighting. Gaslighting is somebody trying to make you actually question your sanity. Sort of got get to the point where you don't know what's real and what's not. Um and that's quite an extreme thing. It's not again, it's not it's not like it's not in the theory, it's not it's another colloquial thing. But um it's not someone saying no, you've got that fact wrong. This is the actual fact. That's not gaslighting. Or someone saying to you that, no, having a safe space at university that's full of puppies and Play-Doh, that's not good for you. That's not gaslighting. That's right. that's a different opinion. But they don't seem to be able to understand this. So um, Davo is something like deny, reverse the um, victim and offender, and then attack them back, something like that. can't remember the exact ac- acronym. And it's it's exactly what they do. It's like cry bullying, yes. like going and beating yes. somebody up and they give you a slap back. And then you start saying, abuser, he slapped yeah. me. Well, what did you do? Why did you get slapped? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. They do. It's, it's, it's like an extreme kind of projection. Yeah, well, it's, it is. It's like a mass delusion alongside mass projection. And even if the individuals, and lots of them are like genuinely caring people who who probably have way too high levels of empathy who aren't very logical i think um lots of them are like that they their group behavior though it's psychopathic the group behavior is just um it's horrifying if if it if it imagine if it was an illiberal country where um they got you know, like we've seen in history, like communism. <laughs> Look what I communism mean, I think we're is. moving towards an illiberal country precisely because of their behavior yeah. and, and, and their popularity. I, I just saw so something struck me that. So in the bullying cancel culture dynamic, well, in a relationship dynamic, there's typically if you're dealing with someone with a personality disorder, there's typically an enabler and they, they make sure mm-hmm. that they have an enabler around usually who's kind of doing all of the the work to allow them to shift between the preferred roles in that drama triangle mm-hmm. um and and um o- often that enabler is in that savior uh spot right but um in cancel culture i don't think there's actually enough of these people to cancel you there mm-hmm. needs to be there's a large contingency of the population who are enablers, and I don't think they're doing it necessarily intentionally, but they're standing on the sidelines and letting this happen rather than pushing back. Yeah. Does that seem like it makes sense? And if that's true, what do we can, how do we stop that? I don't know if I have the answer to that because I think it's a really complex question because the enablers are um, the media, <laughs> corporations, Hollywood, uh, social media, uh, enablers are people with great institutional power. The government now in America, well, 
you know, they have institutional power behind some of these ideas that aren't rooted in reality. So um, like this epidemic of, of police brutality against black people, well, where's the data that shows that? There isn't any, doesn't show no. that at all. That's actually not the case. Um, but now you have the government um, sort of like, not just behaving like a nanny state, but behaving like an, a state that wants to indoctrinate. Um, so like they, they behave like the resistance, but they're actually the Death Star. I think yes. James Lindsay said that. <laughs> yes. Um, Death Star. It's yeah. Star Star Star. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. To give, I wish I thought of that myself. I didn't. James Lindsay did. And um, it's exactly what it is. They behave, they're LARPing and they behave, that, that behave like they're, um, they're the resistance, but there's nothing, there's no one in their way for, <laughs> for, no. for them to be resisting anything. There's no one in the way. Everyone's making it easy for you. Um, and your enablers are literally everything that has great amounts of power. So, um, like, like my, my friend who got dropped by a publishing company or like, um, when Jordan Peterson's publisher, forgotten who it was now, um, announced that they're publishing his second book and the employees started crying. Yes. <laughs> or the Spotify employees who Maybe walked they were out so because happy. of Joe. <laughs> wait, wait. The, the Spotify employees who walked out because of Joe Rogan. And they were doing Just like struggle sessions. Goodbye. Yeah, let them leave. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I, did you see Basecamp lost all the I think the CEO just said something like, I don't want to talk about politics at work. Yeah. And something like 30 percent of the people that like a huge percentage left. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but it sucks. For, it sucks for the CEO. It sucks for the company. Well, the CEO, Man. I think because because he did that, um, he's going to attract people that want an environment where you go to work. To fucking right. work. That's what work is for. Yeah, in the long yes. term, it's good. It's just short term pain. That's like yeah. that's a that's yeah. a blow to take. But it's good. But he Let sounds them... like he sounds like someone who's willing to take take that. I mean, I'm sure he's not stupid. I'm sure he knows um, things got out out of hand and and like this is this is the same with with um, the people who started crying because of Jordan. Peterson. It's like work isn't. It's not like this isn't a crash. Like, do you know what, why you have a job? It's because you have skills that you're going to get paid for and then you go home and that's the end of the story. Your work, they're not your parents. They're not your, your nanny. It's not a nursery. Um, it's not you. Like, what, how has university prepared any of these people for the world? They haven't. They've come from university where they have the, the nursery-like safe spaces full of Play-Doh and cookies and then they think that work is meant to be like that. Yeah. Like, but they're remaking work. That's the interesting thing, because it makes me think of uh, one of the, the the first, one of the many things I saw that started to help wake me up was the video yeah. with the, uh, Nicholas Christakis at Yale University, where the students yeah. were surrounding him and yelling at him about uh, his wife's email about Halloween costumes. And in this video, oh my goodness, one of the students starts screaming at him hysterically and saying, it's your job to keep us safe. Mm. And it's like, it's not, your, it's not mm. his job to keep you safe. And looking at that, however long ago that was, I think it was 2017. At the time, people were saying to me, well, like some 
people and the liberals are saying, well, you're right. This is a problem at college campuses, but these people aren't going to be prepared for the real world and, and they're going to have a harsh awakening in the real world. Yeah. I don't think that's true. They're actually remaking our institutions <laughs> once they get into the real world. They're trying their damnedest to change Spotify, you yeah. know, to change these publishing companies and to turn them into the same thing that the, that the academic institutions have been turned into, which is preschools. You know, yeah, they want, they want, like, it's just like they want to turn every man into a neutered house cat and they want to turn um, all of universities into a creche. And they want to turn like work into, well, I don't know what they think work is meant to be. I really, uh, do they understand the concept of work? Like, let's start there. I think they view work as as an outlet for activism. And that's what they're going to turn it into. And I think, you know, because we have so much wealth in this country, they can live off that borrowed time for a while. But eventually China wins or other places that are like, we don't, we're working. We're producing things. (laughs) You guys can have your activist companies over there and live off of uh your stored value but yeah. eventually that will die it's not a it's not a long-term solution okay so mm-hmm. we we had three things let's get to your fourth because i feel fourth. like we're dragging that so um let's let's recap the three things the first one was moral superiority mm-hmm. the second one constantly i think was seeking, a victim yeah constantly seeking recognition for victimhood um yep. And then lack of empathy and for the pain and suffering of others. And the last one is frequently ruminating about past victimization. Frequently ruminating Mm. about past. Like wallowing in your past victimization. Okay. Like, um, yeah, it's it's when you can't, when you're constantly thinking about mulling over and and, um, being a little bit obsessive with your thoughts about something. um, Like just like with the you know someone didn't smile at me it's a microaggression then then you ruminate on it all day until you've really worked yourself up um and turned it into something that it might might not be and you know the way you you were talking about how you were conditioned to go into um a situation and try and find like like ruining movies for people like go and go into a movie and find what's wrong with it um so by condition when we know what that is we have a word for that it's confirmation bias and when you when you do that then you're going to find what it is that you want to find because you yeah. sort of adapted your lens to be um to be seeking this information or to be seeing it when it isn't there um and they have they have a sort of like a made up answer for everything it's like if you don't see it it's because you know you're not woke enough yeah right and it and it, yeah. because the lens is so, uh, like you said, it's confirmation bias, you, you're attuned to find it no matter what, then they continually, here, here's a weird phenomenon that happens when they've purged all the wrong thinkers from a community and then just the woke remain, they start attacking one another because they still have the lens. Yeah. And so in the, you know, there've been the social justice wars in the knitting world, but also in the sewist world, the, 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 uh, there's a whole community of people who make their own patterns and sell fabrics and do fabrics. And in the sewist world, recently we saw they had in a, it's a woke community. It's made for woke sewists. And there was infighting over uh, someone who's a, a black uh, a woman who posted a fabric with stripes on it. And then right. an indigenous woman said that's racist fabric because there were stripes like that on smallpox blankets. And then 
the black woman wouldn't apologize and the indigenous woman, you know, continued to talk about the, her racism for not apologizing. And it just turned out into an, it turned into an all right, outright war where, you know, members of, then they're purging themselves. Carter's laughing. They purged the black. It's so they pathetic the, and funny. I know. I don't like <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but they will continue to find it. And you're like, wait a minute from the outside looking in, you're like, wait, what are they fighting about? And it's like, they're fighting about stripes. Stripes. On a yeah, fabric. If, you're, if your biggest problem is that a piece of fabric is racist, you don't have any problems. Like, have you yes. looked around the world? Like fabric is not fabric is racist. Like this is where we are now. This is the kind of like high level thinking that we're getting from university students. Fabric yeah. is racist. Look how yeah. think about Great. it this way. Think about how great things must be for us in the West. That that's what we get all verklempt about is, is oh. stripes on fabric. I mean, yeah. life must be awesome generally. Um, it is. <laughs> that's the thing. That's, that's pretty it great. Is. That's the problem. Yeah. I have a, so I have are, a are really serious. Oh. Sorry, I, I just I want to clarify right. something because I'm, I'm starting to view the woke crowd as two distinct groups of people. Um, and I'm wondering if that fits the four items or if uh, I'm seeing something that's not there or but when I start when I learned about the drama triangle thing I started to realize like I think there's a group of people who are centered around victim status like they're trying to constantly be the victims and obviously the people move momentarily in and out so that they can remain in the one they want but there's a separate and I'll say both mostly middle-aged white ladies who are upper middle class <laughs> as like the general probably psychologists yeah. Um, therapist, right? Who yeah. are the saviors, um, yeah. the rescuers, and they're not, they don't actually act the victim very often. They do sometimes if, if they need to shift a conversation to move, but mostly they spend their time inhabiting this like rescuer savior mentality. Um, and I'm wondering if we, if it's better to start looking at them as two distinct groups, because they might have distinct psychological profiles. Well, yeah, the white liberal ladies are very, very difficult to deal with. They are. That's a very God. kind way of putting it. <laughs> it's like, well, actually, I believe in liberalism. And I think all of us Me here too. and most of us in this like group of people, we're, we all believe in liberalism, which is because, you know, that's why we're speaking up because we're against the illiberalism. But then liberal in the kind of way of like how America calls liberals leftists sort of interchangeably. So these kind of like, let's say white woke ladies they are just, Jesus Christ, the biggest nightmare. Um, they are so difficult to deal with. And they'll, they'll sort of tell you what you're meant to think about like your life experience, for example. Or um, they call me alt-right all the time. And it's like, I'm South Asian. <laughs> These are our values. You know, it's got nothing to do with alt-right. Um, they don't know what alt-right means because if they came across an actual alt-right person, they'd know it. Um, and it wouldn't yeah. be nice. Um, and they, they, it's like they have an, they have a hierarchy in their head that they really do believe in white supremacy more than anyone else because they do think that they're the they're the superior ones. And I think they look down on people of color and especially mm -hmm. on black people. And I think they overcompensate by then fetishizing black people in this super creepy. Yes, horrible way. Like, um, 
yeah, they're just really a bunch of creeps. That's like, I do, I do not like so dealing creepy. with them. And they're so unpleasant. Um, and so, like, it's... It's gonna sound. I'm gonna sound like such an old lady, but like they have no manners. <laughs> they have no. They no. don't know how to talk to people, how to treat people, how to. Um, it's. They are really just no. Um, no class. No class. No class <laughs> yeah. at all. And and they're very. Yeah. Uh, they're high on that list of four things that you named. They're very high on the moral elitism, as you mentioned. Like yeah. Um. The the ones who have the savior complex and. Yeah. You know, they know everything. They're a better person than you because, and I also think you're right. This is something we've been circling around for a while. I think you're right about the fact that they, um, they do believe in white supremacy Yeah, and they, they, a lot of them have racist, uh, attitudes about people of color, about black people. They, they, you know, Robin DeAngelo is a great example in her book, white fragility. She talks about how she, didn't at the picnic she went to, she was afraid she was going to have to sit with the black woman. She had these prejudiced views. And I think what this ideology does is it allows, it allows white women with, who have these sort of racist prejudiced views. It allows them to get rid of any personal responsibility for, for their character flaws, for their racist views. And then they have this sort of, it, they get to collectivize their guilt. They're it like, is, oh, it's, it's like splitting, actually. Sort yeah, of, it's right? all yeah. white people. We're all, we all have this. It's just how I was born. All white people are born with this kind of racism. We're all like this. And then you, you shirk the personal responsibility for your racist opinions. And then you go out and if you, someone like Robin Angelo starts preaching it even. And then it's, it's such a weird way of trying to launder your, your own sin of like, I'm, yeah. I'm now you're, you're laundering it and you're taking it out and you're like, I'm one of the good ones now because I'm here to tell you that I'm racist and we're all racist, you know? And it, yeah. it's, and then there's the crazy thing, the white people who don't hold racist views like her in her messed up ideology, they become the bad guys. Cause it's like, well, you won't admit to it. You won't admit that you have this sin yeah, in you. Kafka trap, right? Yeah. It's a, it's, Kafka yeah. Trap. It's a Kafka trap. And, um, it's sort of like it's like a, a five-year-old playground logic of um well i know you, uh you are but what am i or whatever that like that, that, Look, on behalf of five-year-olds i think you've insulted them all and you should take that back <laughs> <laughs> microaggression against the five-year-old um, like it's and yeah robin d'angelo is just i don't i don't know her i don't know what's in her head she might be a very lovely woman to talk to if you met her but she those things she says just make me think you're such a creepy lady like such a weird creepy lady yeah like what are the things you're going on about like i'm again like i can't even conceive of it that if you're going to um the park and you see two parties a white party and a party of more black people it's like she's scared of she's writing in her book she's scared to party with black people yes. and then just telling everyone else that they're racist like yes in fairness maybe she's a bad dancer and i would understand the apprehension probably there. yeah well, anyway the black people probably have better food so i'd go there yeah <laughs> that party and like who who i don't know just Again, all these things, they're sort of like they've created their Instagram and Twitter and online like weird woke bubble of reality that is actually not reality. Um, because in real life, like I live in a pretty white area now. I've just moved from a pretty black area, which I guess makes me a white supremacist now. But I moved <laughs> because um, of the pandemic and 
where I lived. And because we've just been on and off in, in lockdowns for pretty much an entire year now, they're threatening another lockdown. And I just wanted to live somewhere that was quiet and I had a bit more space. So I had to move a little, a slightly out of London, kind of on the border, um, because you just get a bit more for your money here, I guess. Um, and there's a park basically on my doorstep and there's, you know, London being London, it's full of all kinds of, it's, it's really a melting pot. It really is. And there's people of all ethnicities in the park because the sun is shining. No one has a, people have a chat and a conversation because we're not quite in the city city where everyone's a bit sort of like antisocial and, and avoidant. And you don't see that in real life. You go to the park and you see kids of different colors playing together and, um, you know, the mums of different colours all having a chat and a giggle together and, you know, being like, oh, isn't the weather nice? Because that's the favourite, English favourite topic is the weather. And mm. you, d you don't see that. And I know that yeah. in America, there's a different sort of specific issue of racism. And it, you know, but even even that, like all the black, not woke people that I follow, all of them are like, yeah, I don't know what you're going on about, but this doesn't apply to our lives. You're just you're making up weird, odd things. Like um, I follow a, phys a physics student, Eric's um, Electrons, and he's uh, brilliant. He's so lovely and he is so reasoned and well thought out. And his criticisms are great. Clifton Duncan is great. Um, he's so clever and he's such great, such just, he's just brilliant. Um, uh, Wilfred Riley, there's like so many of them. Yeah who all have such clever things to say and no one wants to listen to them. Well, what does that tell you? Is this really about black people? Doesn't sound like it. No, they do not. They, they, they betray what they really believe. And this is something I'm still in some woke social justice groups on Facebook. And it's amazing that the people in the groups can't see this because they've become so brainwashed, but um, you will have these these a lot of white women in these groups who, when you point out to them, they, they've just learned some of the tenets of the ideology. One being, um, you know, if you're a white person, you need to shut up and listen to black voices. Yeah. However, if you share a black voice in this group, if you share uh, someone like a Clifton Duncan, or, you know, if you share, God forbid, you share Candace Owens or someone who's actually conservative and black, mm -hmm. then then you see very quickly they don't actually abide by what what they speak. They speak, listen to black voices, but they don't listen to black voices. They only what they really mean is listen to social justice voices. Yeah. And if they're black, we'll put them up on a pedestal. Um, but just listen to social justice voices, period. And if they're white. And their social justice voice, we will listen to them too. We will listen to Robin D'Angelo, you know. Um, well, she's, she's sort of been cancelled a bit, at least as far as I've seen on Instagram. Not really cancelled, but sort of like disavowed a little bit, where um, a lot of people, usually people who've written their own book, um, have to say that, why are you listening to a white woman? You should be listening to... I've been waiting oh, for this. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It always happens. They tear... This has been happening for decades, and I used to watch it while I was in it. I would watch it happen, and they tear down the leaders, and then new ones will emerge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they, they are like crabs in a bucket, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Well, and Robin D'Angelo's only possible response, if she's not going to be a hypocrite, is, yes, you shouldn't 
read my book, you should read these other books. Like that's yeah. that's uh, they're correct <laughs> according to that ideology. <laughs> There's a new book yeah. coming out. Yeah. yeah. So the I new have book a... is a hilarious self-own. I can't remember the name of the title exactly, but it's something like the damage done by white liberals or something like that. Oh my <laughs> Wait, and I'm gonna look it up now. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's actually in White Fragility, she mentions that. She says one of the things I agree with in her book, she says the greatest harm perpetrated against people of color these days is by white liberals. It's called Nice Racism, <laughs> How Progressive White People Perpetuate Racial Harm. Yeah. I totally agree. You're Robin one of them, Robin. story. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Robin D'Angelo story. <laughs> they need to make a Lifetime movie about yeah. her at the picnic. Like, they could dramatize that in a Lifetime. Oh, so which table do I go to? <laughs> what if, what so, if, what if this book is a 180? And she's no, and she not. has stopped being woke. No, <laughs> no, I know exactly what this book is. If it is, she, yeah. if it is, and we really believe what we believe, then we should um, welcome her. But yeah, yes, no, I agree. I agree, but that's not going to be what it is. What yeah. she's doing is she's going after. Basically, she's going after the people who are people who are most likely to be won over by this religion, by this ideology, who are people who identify as progressive or liberal. Yeah. And so she's shaming them and saying, look, you think of yourself as not racist, but you are, you are guilty of this. And she's trying to get those people. She, why write a book that's aimed at conservatives? She doesn't think she's going to get them. But like, if I can shame the, the progressives, people like the friend you mentioned, actual progressives, actual socialists um, who are not woke, if I can get them woke, like I, that's what that book is about, I think. Um, that's at least that's how she talked about it in the first book that, you know, whenever she mentioned the, the quotes I agreed with about, you know, the, the difference here is when she says the most harm done is by white progressives or white liberals. Um, she doesn't mean white wokes. Mm. Right. I was going to say, you don't actually agree with her because you haven't come to terms with her as an author in the sense that she's using a word and you're just taking a different definition right. of the word and saying, I agree with those sounds if they mean different things. Well, that's yeah, not she really agreement with her. She <laughs> doesn't mean white woke. pull every day anyway. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a, a serious hmm. question for you. Can I take this in a different direction? Sure. Um, and this is maybe very involved. So uh, we get a lot of messages. Occasionally we get messages from people that are pretty serious in nature. Emails, sometimes comments, uh, Facebook messages. Uh, I get messages on Twitter from people who who want help and okay. understanding how to navigate relationships with loved ones who have become very woke. And because I left the ideology, they want to know, like, what advice would you give? What helped to wake you up kind of thing? And I do my best to answer as many of these people as possible, but I do not I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. And I wonder, do you, have you counseled people who have children or grandchildren who've, who've tried to cut off contact with them because of wokeness or, or do you have, or spouses, we hear from spouses sometimes that, you know, like my spouse fell heavily into this a few years ago and now thinks I'm a white supremacist or, 
um, you know, my child went to college and now thinks I'm a white supremacist and, and doesn't want to have contact with me. And I can't tell you the number of people who've sent us messages like this. Do you, what kind of advice would you give to people? And that's maybe a really tough question. So, but any bits of wisdom that you might have there? It's a really <laughs> um, tough one, but it's, um, that's the reality we're living in now, isn't it? Um, and the thing about wokeness is that it's it's anti-relational so when you think about any kinds of, of relational skills um or things that that make that facilitate relationships and facilitate connection it's anti all of those how can you be if you're in a, you know in a wokeish group you have to be so you can't even trust your friends because if you said the wrong thing to your friend your friend's going to cancel you mm-hmm. so which which reminds me a lot of like some of the things I've read about Iran and the secret police um, after the revolution, where they're so frightened, or other um, Middle Eastern countries where they have religious police, where you have to be so careful what you say, what you think, how you say it, who you're seen with, who you what, like, who you even follow on the internet, and that's what they're creating. So in that kind of hyper vigilant. Um, environment where you you're constantly watching your back that's you can't form real relationships and they um i haven't i haven't really counseled anyone like in in my practice with who who've been through this sort of thing but um i think unfortunately we're in a place now where people are going to cut you off and I think we have to accept that's what we're living through in this moment. So it might not be forever, but that's what's happening. And I've lost a lot of friend, friends um, mm-hmm. since since I started talking about things on Twitter. And, you know, people like have been there for, you know, like helped even materially in some in some cases. And they cut you off without like they drop you like you're not even a person. And it really hurts and it is not nice but that's where we are and i think part of the suffering around this is wanting it to be different and i'm not sure wanting it to be different is going to do anything um i think the best you can do is keep i guess from your end leave the door open like if you decide to to see things um for yourself and and you want to come out of this cult like the same probably how parents of, of or family members of people who've gotten into cults feel because so I leave the door open for whenever you're ready um I don't judge you for thinking this or maybe actually that's not true I do kind of judge some of you for thinking this when you know better but there are lots of vulnerable people who get sucked into it and I guess for them I'd say that um and the friends I have kept who are who are kind of woke or woke within me um it's because they're not really woke, I guess, in a way. They 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 believe these weird narratives and they're compassionate, good people and they really care. But they're also people who kind of fundamentally at the core of them, they really believe in liberalism. So they're okay to agree to disagree. Yes. And they're also people who believe in this. Yeah. They're people who believe in loyalty and you know some of those kinds of values so those are the those are some of the few relationships i've retained and also people who who are not maybe as agreeable as most of the woke are so people who 
um, they're okay with with being associated with you because that's a big one, you know, um, who you're seen to be associated with, and also people who have the kind of brain and the common sense to think, well, actually, I know her, and I know what she's like, and I know that she's a really caring and supportive friend, and you know, like not perfect but good person. Um, people like that. So those are the few people I've retained, and they are few. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine your experience has been similar. Very similar, yeah. I had a few who uh, who are still friends with me, though they believe in, I like the way you put it, these false narratives. Maybe they uh, push some of the woke belief tenets of the belief system, but there's something about them that's still open, actually liberal and actually open-minded and mm like you said, maybe uh, disagreeable. That's a good, I hadn't thought of that before, but an aspect of their personality that is okay being friends with uh, an unperson like me. <laughs> but but mostly, yeah, it's mostly I had uh, the great unfriending happen, you know, in my woke yeah. world. And most yeah. of them uh, walked away and a few of them publicly denounced me. And um, But I have been lucky in that, you know, the kind of messages I was talking about, I haven't had someone that close to me, like a spouse or a child, um, mm -hmm. uh, turn against me. And, and I think you're right. I've, I think it is a lot for those people. I, I usually suggest they watch cult documentaries or try to learn what people do. Like you said, when their children get sucked into a cult, because it, it is, uh, uh, I think it shares a lot in common with cults. It has a lot of the cult characteristics, this belief system. It tells them to cut off contact. And um, and I think leaving the door open is also important. We, we did get to, I, I got feedback from a, a young guy once who he had become woke in college. He had pretty much denounced his dad, called him white supremacist, all these things. Really, like you said, it's anti-relational. So he was constantly fighting with his dad and arguing. And, and he said, the thing that mattered to me was during all those years, my dad left the door open. What you said, mm -hmm. my dad still let me know that he loved me and he would still disagree with me, but he would treat me in a loving way. Yeah. Even when I didn't treat him in a loving way. And I think that's really yeah. important. Especially for parent child relationships or relationships that are, you know, of that kind of significance, um, siblings and, and, maybe very close friends or whoever. Yeah. And I think, you know, what it made me think about was that um, series that Leah Remini did about Scientology. And she kind of interviews all these different people who've left the cult of Scientology and how they were then treated by the cult. It's very, so they, they label the person who leaves a suppressive person, which means a bad mm -hmm evil unperson, as you put it. And then they do these, um, essentially like a cancel campaign. They make up fake things about them. They spread them around. They turn everybody still in the cult against that person because they make up all these things and put up these fake websites and, and harass the person. So mm -hmm. they follow them around. They surveil them. They bug their house if they can. They put up, they're really freaks, like scary, scary, scary stuff they do to people. Um, try running someone off the road, like just psychopathic again. And um, that's exactly how the woke behave. They behave just like that, exactly the same psychological mechanisms that 
that Scientologists use against people who left Scientology and the way families have been broken apart. I mean, fortunately, we're not at that much of a level yet, but it's getting there. It is getting there. Like yeah. how many, uh, I, I imagine every single one of us who talks about this publicly has gone through what you described as the great unfriending. And you said yeah. it and I was like, God, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. And I think it's worth, it's worth watching that um, because that those cult dynamics and the way they rip people apart, they actually, they, they, they ruin people's lives. Like how can your life be great if your, if your child thinks that you're some sort of a monster? How can, how can you be happy and well if, um, you know, your partner thinks you're a white supremacist? Yeah. You know, one thing that you said that I think is uh, probably the hardest to hear, but I think the most important is this reality focus of they're anti-relational. So you can't use the relationship, the tools that you might normally try and use to repair a relationship or convince someone or come to terms or, you know, have any kind of negotiation won't work. They, they, they're, they are in this kind of anti-relational mindset. And so it's, I think that's a painful reality for someone to hear. Like the answer is there isn't a silver bullet usually suck it up, keep the door open. Like that's a crappy answer, but it's the right answer, right? Yeah. Like it, no one wants to hear that. It's a crappy reality. I think that's why people get yeah. angry at me on Instagram as well because um, nobody wants to hear the crappy reality really. Um, people want to hear nice, pretty lies and right. that's not going to get you anywhere. And I think like I, I talk about this a lot about the concept of acceptance or, and acceptance doesn't mean approval. I think that's something that's really fundamental to understand. Um, acceptance doesn't mean approval, but acceptance, it, it allows you to get grounded again. Mm -hmm. You're constantly boring with, I wish the past was different. I wish the present is different. I wish I was different. I wish whatever just are you creating a war within yourself but acceptance is sort of like a ceasefire you know i don't i don't love this i don't i don't like it or even if you're um i say this to myself sometimes if i'm in a um you know every now and again we all find ourselves just in a in a rotten mood um and sometimes it's a rotten mood that's like a really low mood and it feels sucky and shit and you feel horrible and one way to deal with that is to take out on everybody around you um, and another way to deal with it is to, you know, try and numb it and make it go away or whatever. Instead, like, I think a quite a powerful way of dealing with it is to say, I don't like this is how I'm feeling. I don't like one thing about this, but I accept that's what's happening right now. And as soon as you yeah, accept it, it takes such yeah. a big thing out of it. I've read studies yeah. about ne neurological studies about how when you verbalize and acknowledge what emotion you're feeling, that it can have an effect on the level that you're feeling it. So if you say out loud, I am very angry right now, just something about acknowledging it verbally and paying attention to it for that second, that moment, mm -hmm. then they've done studies where then people report that their anger level subsides. It would, because when you think about anger, it's such a rush of energy. 
And sometimes it's a rush of energy that's kind of diffused, it's not focused on something. That's why you see somebody, they'll come out of the room and they'll punch the wall, they'll kick the cat and then stomp down the stairs. Um, because you're sort of like, it's like you're intoxicated almost. But when you say it out loud, um, you're making something tangible. And um, the, the same way when you speak, you can you can refine your thinking or when you write, you can refine your thinking as opposed to thinking in your head where there's like one sense here yeah. and an emotion here and a confusing, you know, something. Yeah. Um, and you say it out loud and you hear it and it's almost, it's very impactful. It's really impactful. Um, and as soon as you kind of, the other thing about being angry sometimes is that it can make us very defiant and and also um, it inhibits our like social rule following. So I'm angry and because I'm angry, fuck it. And I'm going to do everything that, that I don't, you know, wouldn't normally do if I wasn't angry. And then you name it and be like, yeah, I'm angry. And, and, and that's what validation really is. You know, yeah, I'm angry and it's not, it's not fucking ideal, but I'm angry. So what, yeah. what else, what else could I do or not do? Can I let it pass? And that's also distress, distress tolerance of um, understanding that, that you can actually cope with being really angry or really overwhelmed or feeling whatever big emotion you can actually cope with it. Just let it pass. Stop getting in its way. Yeah. yeah. Just, I almost want to say lean into it, but just like, just be and let it happen. Yeah. 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 Feel it. You know, something that I've said when talking about epistemology, but actually uh, I, I noticed on your Instagram uh, today actually was, I don't know when you posted it, um, but it's, it's, you're coming at it from the, the other angle. And I really love that you came to the same distillation of this. Um, when I talk about epistemology, a lot of people, we, we end up people, people having discussions about what, what role emotions are and, and what role they play in knowledge. And my position has always been, well, emotions give you valid information about your internal state. They don't tell you anything about the external world at all, but they yeah. do tell you your internal state and that's information and mm -hmm. that's information you can use. And you have a, I'm just going to read one of your Instagram posts that I really like which you write, your relationship to your emotions will change when you view them as information. And you crossed out, why is this happening to me? And you put, what is this telling me? And I think that's a huge, huge tool. I just want to pause on it for yes. a moment because it's related to what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's, informations aren't just these ephemeral states that exist to torture us. It's telling you something. Um, like if I get triggered because Terry's, um, Carrie's wearing a hat, I'm not, <laughs> if I was, um, Oh good. I can why... relate to this one. Keep going. By the way, this happens every once in a while. <laughs> well, we have a comment from someone who's really angry that I like to wear hats and I'm like, wow, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a lot going on if this is what you're cross about, but, um, if you're, you know, if, if that came up for me, then the question that, the, the, the you don't want to then, well, Carrie has to take off her hat so I can feel okay. That's not the right way to approach it. Um, it's why, 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 why is that coming up for me? Why is someone wearing a hat making me upset? And then you have to think about, have I felt this way before? Um, what was going on then? Why do I feel this way? What is this telling me about me? Um, 
and that kind of understanding is 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 and that kind of self-awareness is honestly life-changing you know what i love that you use this example in particular because now we can play the whole analogy out Mm. i've thought about this because i have wondered why do some people react so emotionally to something so innocuous it's ridiculous a fashion choice of mine and i think it is because probably it probably they don't have enough self-confidence to wear whatever they want regardless of what people think and Mm -hmm. seeing me wear something that they think is silly or stupid or or that they don't have the confidence to wear it makes them makes them angry at themselves i can't sit with it it's this weird kind of um Mm -hmm. you know you being free enough to do what you want makes me aware of the fact that i'm not Sorry, we have to pause for one sec. No, it's true. And it's, it's, I think that's also, that speaks to um, why the, the, the woke hate all of us is because they aren't free. They aren't free to say what they really think. And they're very, very resentful of anyone who feels free enough to not only say what they think, but pay the cost and keep speaking. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, come at me. I'm not going to stop. And they, they, I think there's a deep um, there's a there's a deep desire in them because every human being has the desire to, to self-actualize and want to be authentic and you know think about to when any of us were more woke. Um, it's not nice, is it? It's a pretty yeah. shitty place of um, frame of mind to be in, and it's not nice to swallow your truth constantly. I hate this term, your truth. I can't believe I just said that because there's no your truth and my truth, just the truth. Thank you. Thank you for the correction, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Your authenticity, you're you're being inauthentic and it hurts to be inauthentic. And I think we've all been in, whether it's woke or not, a lot of times it's in relationships, frankly, when you're young, Mm. uh, they can often start out inauthentic and it's never enjoyable to remain in an inauthentic relationship. Um, It's not. I think that's such a disservice we do in the start of relationships where everyone is on their best behavior and the best behavior sort of means being what you think other people will find attractive or what that other person is going to think, you know, what you think that person wants instead of being as much your weird self as possible. Yes. (laughs) By the way, when I met my wife, I intentionally sat her down and tried to scare her away. I'm like, (laughs) on this and this and this, these are the things I think. What do you think about that? And she wanted another date. So yeah, that's what happens when you're honest is you actually, if you find an authentic person, you know, then they're, they're, um, they're attracted to that authenticity. And I think what you just said, it it reminded me of the um, Shel Silverstein poem masks. Do you know this poem? It's an old poem Uh, mask. It said she had blue skin and so did he. He kept it hid, and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through, then passed right by and never knew. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's beautiful. Because you're just going into interactions with what you said, that sort of mask of what yeah. does what do I think other people will want to see? And yeah. let me put that mask on. And, oh, that absolutely that social justice people do that because they have to wear a mask and they have to, they run every, I used to run everything that I thought through a filter. 
of make yeah. sure I didn't say anything ideologically impure. Every utterance on social media had to be put through my filter. And, you know, you're not being your authentic self. And you may, I didn't even realize it. You, some people who are in it that don't even realize it, but I'll tell you once you're out of it and you're free, it's, it's like night and day. You don't have that. You don't have that fear every time you utter something. You don't have that sort of anxiety about making sure you are not taken out of context and, and yeah. you know, or that you accidentally trip a wire in your own belief system and get piled on, you know, and um, anyway. You know, you just made me think of an interesting test, Carrie. I wonder if this is true. I'm just, I'm just making this up, but I imagine that if I spent a day, to like I totally, my prefrontal cortex just went away and I just blurted out whatever I was thinking all the time to everyone that I cared about. I'd, they'd probably be like, he's in a pissy mood and they might get mad at me, but they wouldn't cease to be my friends and family. They would like, the next day they would still be there. Mm -hmm. And if that's not true, probably something's wrong in your relationships. Either you're not being authentic and it would be so shocking that like, they would think that you've gone off the rails or you're not, you don't actually have friends. Cause you can't have friends if you're not authentic, which is why we say that they mm -hmm. have allies. Just like you can't be in a real relationship with someone if you're not authentic with them. Um, I don't know. That's my. No, it is true. And go if... try that experiment. I'll see. <laughs> I think that's kind of what being someone with ADHD is like. <laughs> Blurting out everything all yeah. the time. It's a good acid test. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's. No, it's true. And I, I found that like exactly what you described um, of this internal filter and like making sure you don't say anything um that's ideologically impure i think i had i had to sort of like slightly retrain myself and i'd make myself and i still do sometimes make myself say the thing that i'm scared to say like no because i'm scared to say it i'm going to say it because i shouldn't yes. be i shouldn't be yes yeah yeah i've i've gone through that same thing and and, yeah. and it still will come up occasionally i don't don't experience as much fear about saying the thing, but when I notice the fear, I try to do what you're doing. It's okay, then I have to do that. Or like yeah. for me, uh, public speaking, when I can, not podcasting, but public speaking, when I can see a bunch of people in the room still yeah. scares me. So I'm forcing myself really to scary. do it more and more. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I want to be able to, yeah. eventually I don't want that to be a fear. Um, but, but. Carrie, you know, I think you're in a particular phase. I'm going to, I'm going to psychologize Carrie right now. I think that you just left Woke like recently, a couple of years ago. I because this it's is what happened to me years. when I left Chris. Okay, I left okay. Christianity, and the next few years after that, I turned into poke the Christians atheist. I was constantly <laughs> like, I was like in your face, bothering the Christians, and like now I'm like, oh, I don't care. People are Christian, it's fine. Like I'm that's toned down. I wonder because I sometimes you you tell stories about like I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm like. Wow, that's pretty in your face poking the Wokies. I love it. It's awesome to watch. But, like, you're pretty, sometimes you're pretty in your face poking the Wokies. And I'm kind of like, meh, the Wokies. Yeah, I think, I think what you said is so true. Um, not just for, I think anyone, as soon as you leave something that's sort of like an authoritarian or fundamentalist ideology, um, like 
when I left India and came here, I was like really misspent my youth for a while <laughs> doing every <laughs> single thing. The like, big Catholic girl tattoos, analogy. Going with the, the, yeah. Drinking every day, just like doing everything I didn't need to, not skydiving, paragliding. I'm not that brave. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just doing every single thing that you were constrained from doing before, I think you go through a period of overcorrection. Like when I started my Twitter, almost every one of my tweets was an angry rant, like every single one of them, because I'd been keeping it in for so long. And then you just kind of, um, it's okay. Like you, 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 I think you sometimes have to overcorrect because a part of you is scared of, of sliding backwards. That's part of it as well. And I think yeah. you have to show that you're capable of standing on your own and resisting it. And once you're convinced of that yourself, you can relax a little bit. And you soften then a bit, don't you? You kind of soften yeah. a bit. You don't even you don't even have necessarily anything anything that fundamental or core against them. Like I don't like your beliefs. I think sometimes you guys behave like in a way that's absolutely psychopathic. But as an individual um, and of course, I don't hate you. <laughs> Why would I hate you? I don't yeah, even know you. actually, I'll push back on your psychologizing me, Carter, just a little bit because um, I think some of the yeah, but I think some of the poking is just a way of making fun of wokeness, which I think we should do. Yeah, I think we, I think we, we have should, to I use sense of humor, and I actually am still more empathetic towards people who are woke in some ways than you are. Like, like there's a friend of mine, one of the friends we were talking about before, Sarah. I have a friend who she still espouses woke ideology. She actually makes content that's trying, that's woke for kids. Um, but she's a good person. She has a good heart and I know her intentions are in the right place. And I, yes, I will still have, she's still my friend. I will still have lunch with her when she's in town. And the fact that she's social justice, she hasn't unfriended me tells yeah. me there's something open-minded about her. And so I'm still, I'm still open. I still leave that door open. It's not like I hate everyone who's woke. I don't, in fact. Uh, I wasn't trying to suggest you but, hate them. Yeah. So I, but you but do I like do aggravating it. them. Yeah. <laughs> I do <laughs> And I, I think there's a, there's a difference for me with wokes, though. I was never woke. I was never a leftist ever in my entire life. The closest mm -hmm. I became was like, you know, I mean, I'm, obviously I'm liberal on a lot of social issues like gay marriage and that kind of stuff. But like I was never a leftist and I was never a wokey. So I don't I don't feel the need to poke at them because they didn't really personally harm me. Uh, but I also don't really feel a lot of compassion for them. They just seem like these crazy others to me that I'm like, you guys are ruining the world. You're crazy. Like, yeah, that's I went right? through that detached. Phase. <laughs> Definitely went through that phase of thinking that they're crazy others. Um, there you go. I just did an ableism microaggression by using the word crazy. Just gonna note that. Um, we should have that flash on screen whenever. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, I definitely went through went through a phase of of thinking you lot are just you know you're like othered them, and then yeah. I had to I kind of pulled myself back from that because I think that's what they do. They other people and dehumanize them and then destroy them. And and every single sort of terrible ideology that's gotten into power and committed atrocities in history has started that way. And that's what they do to, to anyone who's white. Um, and, and then they give their bullshit, you know, but no racism is power plus blah, blah, blah. And it's, no, it's not like, just because you're saying right. it over and over again and making infographics doesn't mean it's true. Racism is racism. And what you're doing is racist. Yes. And um, 
you know, so othering people like that, dehumanizing people, I think we have to, well, maybe not everyone, I don't know, but at least for me, um, make a conscious effort to humanize because it's so seductive and so easy to go the other way, especially when people are behaving mm. in ways that you just could not only never like behave that way yourself, but you, it wouldn't even occur to you to do some of those things. Like it would never even cross your mind. Um, and it's, it's easy and yeah, fuck yeah, you can be angry and you can um, judge them if you want, but you have to still hang on to something that's like, yeah, this is a person who's loved by other people. They probably have a pet they're really nice to. <laughs> They've got loves and, and passions and their own thing and they feel the same fear and need for acceptance and, um, you know, the same things that all of us feel. And I think there's yeah. something about that. You've got to hang on to that. Can't lose that because I think that's one of the bedrocks of a, of a liberal society yeah. because that, what, yeah, that's what I, actually makes you tolerant. When I say othering, I, I do mean it. I do. Other oh, I them. didn't mean you that way. It's but not I, just, I don't want to be clear. I think, I think there's a difference between dehumanizing and um, so I think it's healthy to have a, like you should have a baseline understanding that everyone else is a human and deserves some sort of treatment as a human being, right? Like yeah. that, that makes sense. But I guess when I say othering, I mean kind of like, and almost like they don't matter in a cosmic way. Like their ideas mm -hmm. matter and I'm fighting their ideas, but they, this happened actually with Christians that were in my life that I was, I went from being very attached to, to being very angry at, to being indifferent towards where I'm now mm -hmm. like, they don't really matter. Like they matter as humans. Okay, fine. Like they're probably nice to their pets and, and blah, blah, blah. And like, I, I don't wish them harm, but they yeah. don't matter. They don't, their existence doesn't upset, no upset me on your, on your life and on you. Yeah. Their choices yeah. that I don't agree with don't upset me. They're like, it just doesn't, it doesn't have a bearing on, on who I am. And I think for some reason, I, I think we're in a world in which everyone feels like ev they have to have an opinion about how someone else has bearing on them. And the yeah. truth is, most people don't have any bearing on you, really. Like, it doesn't really matter to you, mostly, what most people do. But yeah. we seem to have, like, this this mentality of, every, it's like a busybody mentality. I don't like something you're doing, and therefore, I've got to either, like, join your tribe. Like, I've got to get you in my tribe so I love you, or put you into that tribe so I hate you. But we've mm -hmm. lost the third option of, like, I'm do just you? neutral. I'm not participating. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that's really healthy. I think what you've described is really, really healthy. Um, and I agree. I think I've, I'm starting to come to that place with the people who who um, tried to cancel me. Like, I would not not let them anywhere near me, strong boundaries, but um, because they can't be trusted. They just can't. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel right. about a lot of them. Like, you can't be trusted. I wouldn't put you in charge of a sweet shop, but I don't, you know, like, do your thing. I don't, yeah. I like, you don't matter. What you have to say about me doesn't actually bend reality and it doesn't matter. And I, right. I, yeah. So, Rhett, can I, I, really I were you, were you woke? Would you describe yourself as previously, were you woke? Very or briefly. <laughs> very, oh. very briefly. Um, and when I was, I did, I, I was one real asshole is like the best way to put it like i was such an asshole um i would not like i don't like woke me that much um i i yeah 
Yeah, briefly I was. I made some infographics. And <laughs> That's a red flag That's to a wokeness. Flag. <laughs> <laughs> first it's infographics <laughs> next thing you're dying your hair oh, no like um yeah it was for a few months and then um luckily for me i'm not a complete idiot so as soon as i saw some data that snapped me out of it pretty quickly um and yeah god i was a real asshole is the best way i can put it can you describe then be having been someone who was briefly in it and also being a therapist? As I said, Carter and I have theorized about some of the psychology behind it, but in your opinion, what are some of the reasons that it's seductive? Why, how does it pull people in? Pulls people in because you think that um, you're part of something bigger and something that gets a lot of uh, reward and recognition. That's very seductive. Um, the younger people younger than us so um they're kind of all for them social group is really really important they're still kind of socializing into the world and if all your friends are woke yes you know you kind of you kind of can't escape it for a little while um i think as well it's meaning gives you gives you a framework to look at the world and bring some meaning into your life um, you feel like you're part of a community, even though the community is sort of like kind of rabid and wants to cancel you if you put a toe wrong, it's still a community. Um, I think as well, it's, <laughs> there's so much here, but Jonathan Haidt lays it out really well. And it's all these failed parenting strategies that have conditioned people into something that looks like vulnerable narcissism. So you need you need a lot of attention, and you get a lot of attention if you if you um, well behave the way they behave. I suppose um, they've been taught that the, they've been taught that wokeness isn't a really badly thought out gibberish political ideology. They've been taught to think that that it's morality. So that yes. people. Who are, yeah, high in, high in agreeableness. They, they're very scared of being seen by anyone as not um, on the side of morality or on the side of good. And then it also uses people's compassion against them. So, you know, it kind of, and uses a lot of really antisocial tactics like guilt trips people and makes you think, if you don't, if you don't think this or believe this, then obviously you're a racist and accusing someone of something abhorrent like racism is most people get really frightened like even i think even any of us probably has taken some time and some practice and and quite a lot of experience to get to the point where no i'm not and that's that a lot of people don't have that mm -hmm. they're, they're not able to do that they they sorry i have a piercing here so my headphone keeps falling out yeah. um they <laughs> they're terrified that's like a knee-jerk response and and rightly so because they think that if you don't if you don't subscribe to the anti-racism um by kendi way of thinking about things then you have to be a racist um that there's so much to it and again you're like people are bombarded with this messaging like now from 
like you guys in the States, you have it from your administration. Um, the establishment is now going woke or companies are constantly virtue signaling and, and they know that that's how you get, how you keep customers and clients because now you have really angry, like 21 year olds um, calling out people on Twitter and, and Instagram and, um, and then like, television and film are becoming more and more woke and it's it's if you if you don't if you're not kind the kind of person who can either stop and say hang on this is a bit weird and start thinking about things for yourself or if you haven't listened to someone who kind of breaks it down pretty easily because it's very easy to break down once you start thinking about it because there's nothing to it really um like logically it's completely inconsistent so sometimes you have to hear someone else and think oh my god yeah i've thought this too inside am i allowed to think this people need that that's why mm-hmm. i think and that's why i talk about it yeah this, mm-hmm. this is related and i think you touched on this but um what are the bad some of the bad parenting maybe maybe not even intentionally parenting decisions but what are some of the bad things that have led to the psychological vulnerability that so, is being exploited here? The big one is um, self-esteem parenting, where they think that if you like um, inculcate in your child, that they're very, very special and very important and they can go on and be and do anything, that's going to give your child really healthy, robust self-esteem. Actually, what it's done is give... Um, I think so. Giving someone tons and tons of praise without a reason, like an accomplishment or behavior, that seems to create something that looks like narcissism as opposed to healthy self esteem. So, praise without a reason is not a good idea. You know, and that doesn't mean, and that's sort of like what coddling culture is. That doesn't mean you have to be horrible and insult anybody, but you can, you can um, praise effort. You can be a loving, parent without constantly telling your child how special they are that doesn't you know and um and then you end up with all these young adults who have grown up thinking they're gonna they're gonna do something massive because they're that special i'm so special that i'm gonna become a a rock star or i'm gonna get really famous or i'm gonna join this company i'm gonna get promoted to vice president in three months because i'm that special and then the world doesn't reflect back to them that they're actually special the world's like no you're like everyone else you're not you're not as special as you seem to think you are and then they become deflated and depressed and and resentful i imagine a lot of external reasons that right they, they view it as an external problem if yeah. I didn't become a vice president in three years, it must be the world that's the problem because I know I'm special. And that's and that's the that's what narcissism sort of thinks. And vulnerable narcissism is very much that's the sort of key key feature. I'm so great. Why don't other people recognize it? This is what I've heard called uh, covert narcissism before. Yeah, is it also thing, called basically. that. Yeah. yeah, where it's sort of yeah. yeah I I'm, covert narcissism was when you were. Uh, self-deprecating and like doing yes it's part of the same it's part of the same because what i read is that a lot of times these people can show up in a therapist's office and at first you just think you might the therapist might be inclined to believe all their stories about how the world is turned against them everything is 
that, you know, their boss is the worst and their partner's the worst. And this is, yeah. you know, they're always the victim and they never get the recognition they deserve. And it, it, and so, and sometimes you can view it as it can be mistaken for depression. This person has had a lot of bad things happen to yeah. them and they're depressed when in actuality it's covert narcissism. And it's sort of, yeah. I'm not getting what I am owed out of everyone else and out of yeah. the world, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm always the victim yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the way that's my non-professional way of describing what I read about. Yeah, I know very I, little about it. That's why I'm, I'm asking about it. But uh, you reminding me of a, this isn't a parenting book, but I do think it's important for parents because um, I, I read it for entrepreneurial stuff, but it's uh, I found a lot of value in as, as a parent. There's a, a book called The Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck from Stanford. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. oh, you know this book? Yeah. Okay. It is um, okay. one of my life Bibles, I would say. Okay, good. <laughs> love it. Love yeah. everything about it. And I think it can, it can have powerful impacts on, on mental health because so much of um, now when people, when people present like that, um, I'm not special and I'm so depressed and what can sometimes look like depression is actually more like being deflated. Um, and you teach them that actually if you put in the work and you practice and you let some, you know, give yourself some time, you can change your circumstances. Who you are now does not have to be fixed. I mean, obviously your core personality is kind of fixed, but you can do stuff with it, you know, and teaching people that that just because you're depressed and, and anxious now doesn't mean that that's going to be you in in even a year's time but you have to do some work. And I think that's the, it's not, I talk about it um, in different ways. I, I reference it without, you know, necessarily naming it constantly on Instagram. Um, and hard work seems to be anathema to people. <laughs> they just, they, they don't want to hear that. That you have to put some work in. Well, because yeah. they were never, they were probably never praised for the work when they were kids. They were probably just told. I mean, this is something I consciously tried to do with my daughter. She's twelve now, but like, if she does some well on something, not like I'll you know instead of saying you got an A, you're smart. It's yeah. Oh, that all that studying really paid off. How do you feel about it? And like. She like she recognized I'm just reflecting back. It was the studying that led to the A and she mm. can then make the evaluation that she feels good about studying hard and then getting an A like, bam, that connection happens in her. But it's not a natural thing for a parent to do. At least my generation, I feel like we all want to tell our kids how awesome and special they are all the time. <laughs> and it was a conscious decision I had to had to do to stifle that. Well, they are you know, special and they are really important to you. I think, <laughs> you know, that's the, and I think teaching sort of like the the, the difference between um, letting that kid know that like, yeah, you're the center of my world. You're fucking amazing. I love you, right. but you're amazing just like everybody else's, you know, like that, that aphorism, <laughs> you know, we're all, you know, you're unique just like everybody else and kind of explaining, in, inculcating that sort of, understanding and humility that um like the world doesn't actually owe you anything even if you are special the world doesn't owe you anything yeah i'm realizing because sarah i'm someone who i'm doing a lot of things later in life because i 
partially because I was in a cult ideology for 20 years. <laughs> and so I've been doing some growing up the past five or so years. And uh, I would like to try to have kids. And I've been learning a lot from Carter and, and just the stuff he talks about. But I'm realizing hearing you both speak that I can't treat my child if, I ha if I'm lucky enough to have a child the way I do my dog. Because I do tell my dog all the time, you're the most amazing dog in the world. <laughs> Wait, wait, actually, so that's not special. a bad analogy, Carrie, because I think a lot of people have kids as accessories just like dogs, and they yes, do the probably. same thing with their kids. And see, it's yeah. okay if you say it to your dog because your dog doesn't know what you're saying anyway. You can tell right. him all the time, you're right. the most special dog in the world. But if you say that to By your the kid, way, I did the opposite with my cat, but I say it in really nice tones. I tell her how horrible she is. Um, but I say it really nicely, and she loves it. Yeah, Anthony does that to our dog. <laughs> kind of, um, oh, my partner is called Anthony as well. Anthony. Ah, um, what a good name. Yeah, good name. Um, I don't have a kid yet, and I really want a kid as well. I oh. do have some cats. <laughs> and, and it's the same. Yeah, you kind of, of course you do that. And it's, it's completely different because this is a little completely dependent animal that's not going to grow up and get a job. And, and right. like, I know my cats aren't my kids, but I treat them like they are because I feel like I took it, I took that animal away from its mother so now it's my responsibility to love it as well if not better and make sure it has like the best life ever and you just like you love them they become part of your family and you love them to bits um but with children it's a completely different role it's not it's a different responsibility isn't it because your responsibility isn't just to love them it's also to help them develop and to like be a guardian not just of their physical safety i suppose but also of them developing into a person that's not a fucking insufferable nightmare yes. <laughs> that's kind right. of important right um and that you know you feel like you you there's there's a brilliant um i don't remember who said this but it was like i'm gonna give my kids enough money to do something but not to do nothing and i think that encapsulates mm -hmm. it really well it's a good one is a good yeah. one. Yeah. 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 I often tell my daughter that I'm not parenting for, for her to like me. I'm parenting for her 30 year old self to appreciate me. Oh, like, that's so nice. And so it's like, yeah, but I, right. It's not right now. I don't care whether you hate me right now. I care whether you hate me when you're 30. <laughs> like that's yeah. what I care about. And that's, again, it comes back to trait agreeableness. Um, people who are very high in agreeableness, they need everyone to like them. And it's the same with, you know, the kind of people who want their children to think they're cool and and that that um, see them as a friend. Like, of course, you can be a friend to your kid, but that kid only has one parent or two parents um, and has 30 or so friends. Like, you have one fucking job. Do it. Stop trying to be a friend. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with that. Can I just say, back when I was in therapy, I wish you had been my therapist. <laughs> Like you just, Aww. yeah. So is there, this is, a, this leads into another question I had. Do you know, I have people sometimes ask me, do you know of any non-woke therapists? Do you happen to know, is there a network of non-woke therapists? A secret black book of non-woke therapists? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I kind of do. So um, I'm, I'm at the moment, I've got a few openings. So usually I don't. But I've, I've been making some changes in my practice, so I have a couple. 
And um, there is an absolutely brilliant organization called Critical Therapy Antidote. I'll send you the link after this. Okay. And they are therapists who are trying to protect therapy from, well, critical theory ruining it. And it's a network of therapists who are not woke, who care about the discipline and, you know, the sacredness of our profession. And it's um, a great network. And they constantly send around emails saying, here, we have a person inquiring from this place for this reason, who's got an availability, who wants to help. And that's how, so if people don't want a woke therapist, this is a great organization. Wow, that's amazing. That's super helpful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. By a lady called Val Thomas. Um, she's written for New Discourses before as well. And um, she's great. And I think a few other people, I'm not completely sure I know of Val. Um, and it's a great group for therapists to join as well. If there are any therapists watching and you, um, I mean, you have to be, they have to be careful. I don't think they let everyone in because you don't want some woke person coming in with, um, you know, what they're like. Exactly. Right. Well, trying to dox people. And yep. ruin yeah. Them, yeah. But um, it's, that's a good group. I'm so happy. I knew, that's I good. knew things like this were going to start to evolve that, you know, in all these different areas, I think there's a, there, there's a hunger now for, something that's authentic that's not woke and so whether it's therapy or you know help in the workplace for fighting back against uh race theory counterweight is a great example um in the comic book world you know people started making their own comics and i just i sort of think you know human ingenuity will win out in the end because there are niches that need to be filled so that makes me very happy i think that's such a beautiful way to put it And it's true, and we're adaptable, and this is a small, loud, annoying group of people who've unfortunately picked up some institutional power because they're slimy and cunning, and they kind of slither their way into places in a very backhanded way. But um, the majority of people don't feel the way they feel, and a lot of their own ranks don't believe what they're saying. Um, And, like... You know, counterweight new discourses are so fantastic. Like, if you want to understand this stuff, like, I can't stress enough how much how much you must read that. And then people like James Lindsay and Chris Rufo going out there and doing real world things to help help preserve things for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. There are some there are some very um, brave people out there doing a lot of good things, and this yes. is important too. You know, yeah, this is yes. really important because. This is how we, at the moment, this is our third place. It's sort of social media is the, the town square, right? And so yeah. we need some, we need some other voices in the town square. So what you're doing is really, really important. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I am so happy that you yes. blessed us with your time and insight today. And Thank you for having me, it's been such a lovely conversation, and I'd, I'd love to do it again in the future. But like, yes, in real life with like a drink or a coffee, that would be so <sighs> great. Yeah, I would love I, you that. know what? I yeah. love these conversations, but I am so frustrated that they're not live because I think all these conversations would be so much more fun. They would sitting be. across the table from someone and having a conversation. Yeah. It would be really great. Um, hey, if we ever come to the UK, which we were talking about doing a documentary that might take us there at some point yeah. when lockdowns and stuff are over, um, we will definitely meet up with you there and because there's we've got a list of people we should just go anyway yeah. as long as they don't we make me have a pa- vaccine passport. and go on a pub crawl we will. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you're ever in Texas, that's where I'm at. I, I'm know. kind of meant to come to America to meet all my all my friends I'm making of these like amazing people. And um and I keep getting put off because of the fog. Yes. Like, oh, do I really wow. want to go there? They're doing such bloody weird things. Um, but there's like, I want to actually want to come to Texas. Uh, I want to meet you. I want to meet Clifton. I want to meet James. Um, James and his wife, Heather, because she's, oh, she's so lovely. And there's all these just like wonderful people um, that that I've been lucky enough to meet that I just, I'd love to see you all in real life. Yeah. Maybe when, um, maybe you just have to be brave and calm. <laughs> yeah. Well, let well, me you know. You get all those people do. in one spot. Those are a lot of James. Yeah. And I forget somewhere we, in Tennessee or somewhere. Virginia, Tennessee, yeah. Tennessee. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we can get yeah. them all in. We, Texas is the spot to go probably. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get all Californians coming to Texas. Okay, so here's how I, what I think now. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm trying to recruit people because we have such an influx already that, it, and, and you can't stop the flow of people. So I want to recruit the right people, and my the people I think are the right people who are free thinkers and freedom lovers and individualists and you know people who believe in and live and let live, which is yeah. is really a part of Texas's history. Texas is all about live and let live, and even the conservatives here in Texas are more libertarian in minded than they are conservative. So I, I really have been on our show. I'm always telling people, I know that the libertarians have chosen New Hampshire as their free state project. Of some of the people, libertarians, some of the libertarians, but I think we need more than one anyway. And Texas has yeah. such a great mythology and history of independence. And, and we have, we own, we're the only state that still owns our, has our own mineral rights. So, I think Austin is gone, but if we can get enough wrong thinkers to move here to surround Austin, we might be able to get them to leave. <laughs> so, I was just talking point. about like a meeting in Texas, but <laughs> but moving here. Hey, I've, I've been doing some good work recruiting Carter. I got to update you on people who are considering the state now. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not all about Greater Idaho now that I've learned about the Greater Idaho, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway. Uh, Sirat, remind people how they can follow you on Instagram, Twitter, that kind of stuff. So it's um, my name, which is a mouthful. So I'm sure you guys will put it in the description no. or wherever. <laughs> so, yeah, just my name is my handle on Instagram and on Twitter, Sirat K. Chowla. And at the moment, that's that's where I am. Um, I don't think I have any other social media. I'm on LinkedIn, but I never look at it. And I have a Facebook page, but I never look at it, um, uh, which kind of posts automatically my Instagram content. Um, but those are my two internet homes. I am thinking about um, videos, but I just keep thinking that I'm just being lazy, really, because it just seems like a lot of work to get set up. But I think I might do that at some point. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, that's it. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. This was a great conversation. I know Carrie and I both enjoyed it. So, yeah, I, I loved it. Nice. Thank you both for having me on. Um, it was great fun talking to you guys. And yeah, I feel like I've made new friends. <laughs> you have. Aww. Thanks for watching. 
If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. They are also spreading vicious lies about me. I am human just like you. Insert localized idiomatic greeting. Individual sovereignty is highly contagious. Good parents keep their children regularly vaccinated. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks at the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.